Well, amen, and thank you, musicians. We appreciate all of you. What a blessing you are. We'll be turning to 2 Corinthians again this morning, uh, this morning to the fourth chapter, and uh, considering the matter of the heart and uh, heart commitment and perseverance in the face of challenge. The Olympics are virtually over. They've got to have all those closing ceremonies and the things that they do that you're familiar with. Uh, but I enjoy the Olympics. It doesn't come around often. Uh, and I've said before, my favorite events are the swimming relays and the track and field relays. And the last couple of days have been those track and field relays. And I just think it's great that the Americans, you know, we only have like 330 million people. And I think it's great that the Americans are able to assemble a team that can go up against the powerhouses like Jamaica and the Bahamas. Uh, but they're, anyhow, some of you are awake this morning. So. But I watched those, and some of those athletes are just, uh, they're all incredible to be in the Olympic level. But watching Hussein Bolt, uh, what, a, what an athlete. He's just like, uh, he's in a league by himself. And the TV coverage gave a lot of mileage to the pre-race stuff down in the tunnels and waiting and the team standing there. And everybody on every team seemed nervous and anxious and staring at the floor and, you know, uh, just waiting. And he's looking at the camera and smiling and making his funny faces and pointing at everybody and, and clowning around. And what he was communicating by that was absolute confidence. Like, we're going to walk out of this tunnel here in a little while and run that race, and we're going to blow them away. And they did, and uh, he knew to expect that. The other three guys on his team, all they had to do was their part, knowing that he was going to explode with uh, his exceptional speed, and they were going to win the gold medal. And so they looked around as if to say, uh, which group of you guys are going to get the silver medal? Because the gold is ours. thought about that in terms of the church and the mindset that we bring to our mission. Our mission is not to run the 4 by 100 relay. Our mission, our life purpose is not to win a track and field event. Our calling is to take the gospel of Jesus to the world. And our anchor man is Jesus. And in the great tunnel of life, when you look around at, at what's out there in the world, you might think, well, our, our first three guys... Uh, it might be a little weak, but we've got Jesus as our anchor man, and we will win. We will prevail. That's really the message of the Bible. That's the message, especially of 2 Corinthians. We're going to win this thing. We will win. It may be challenging at points. Uh, some of us may mess up along the way, but our anchor man will win this race. It is absolutely certain. Paul understood that. Paul lived by that understanding. And Paul, especially through this letter, calls us to an awareness of the victory that is ultimately ours. And so you and I ought to think like winners, anticipate victory, and look forward to that, and modify our attitudes and our actions in the light of that ultimate victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and we're skipping over where we were last week through a number of verses that we will look at on Wednesday nights in the coming weeks. So you had to come on Wednesday nights to get the whole story. But looking back on chapter 3 and a number of significant things that Paul says there, he launches into this encouragement to the church. Therefore, or really more literally, it's because of this, because of really chapter 3, 
chapters 1 through 3, but especially chapter 3 and the words just building up to this, because of this, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We just don't lose heart. We're not going to do that. Now, there's several things that he, like four points that are woven into that short verse. The therefore, or because of this, looks back to that foundational teaching that he has tried to ingrain in their mindset and their, their worldview and their attitude about life and ministry. Because of those things, and then he says, since we have been shown mercy, the Apostle Paul is the greatest champion, I say it many times, the greatest champion of all of the doctrine of the grace of God. He is Mr. Grace of God. He was saved when he didn't deserve it, profoundly, irreversibly, in the book of Acts, in the ninth chapter. And he never got over that, never got over the wonder of that, and he preaches on it, and he writes about it, and he writes about it, and he keeps putting it before the church. And he says to all the church, just like his own experience, he says, we have been shown mercy. We were not clever. We were not smarter than... No, we have received mercy. We are standing by the grace of God. You are here breathing air this morning by the grace of God. You belong to the church, not First Baptist Dublin, but to the church the cause of Christ, you belong to Christ because of mercy, not because you deserve it. And Paul says, since that's true, and then literally having this ministry, since we have this ministry entrusted to us, we do not lose heart. You can translate that as the, as the Bible translators do a number of ways. Uh, it, has to, it can be uh, related to just growing tired. We will not get tired. It has to do with discouragement. We, we will not get discouraged. The New American has it, we, we do not lose heart, as does the NIV. The New Living Translation says we will never give up. We will never give up. I was looking through some uh, travel books uh, just this last week about England and London and thumbing through I saw uh, pictures of a place I've been before the the war rooms in London and the war rooms were Churchill's headquarters from which he operated the Second World War at least the British side of it he was encouraged to evacuate London and he refused to do so because that would send the wrong signal to the people that were being bombed by the Nazi bombers and so they set up headquarters in the basement of one of the government buildings that's about a block from 10 Downing Street where the Prime Minister's home is. And down there he operated for several years the Second World War. When the war was over, they turned out the lights and walked out, and the maps are still there, and the telephones are still there. It's just like it was umpteen years ago when they left. And a war like that, uh, there are a lot of factors, like who has the most people, who has the bravest soldiers, who's got the most soldiers, who's got the greatest industrial complex behind all of that that can continue to produce all of those things. All these factors come into play. Who can obtain sea superiority and air superiority, and then and it all kind of plays out ultimately. But one of the huge factors is the mental factor to it. And Churchill was the master of 
conveying to the British people in particular and to the allies in general and to even their adversaries, we will never quit. We will never ever lose heart. You can do whatever you want to to us, but we will not, we will not give up. Paul's attitude for the church is the same. He's speaking for himself and for his team that travels with him in missions, but he's trying to speak also through 2 Corinthians collectively to, for all of us as the church. We do not lose heart. There are lots of Christians in America today that have lost heart watching too much cable TV, too much uh, news, and watching the politicians and the selection possibilities and there's more discussion in this election than I think any ever before that uh, rings of despair. Where does all this end? What are we going to do about that? And Paul says, I'll tell you one thing, we're not going to lose heart. We will keep on keeping on, no matter what. And as long as we have life and breath, we will pray and we will give and we will witness and we will vote and we will be there and we will do our part and we will not ever give up. And that's the heart of the Apostle Paul. He was absolutely tenacious. What a, what a hero. What a, what a giant of the faith. Not because he was so great, but because the greatness of Christ flowed through him so freely and he was so surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and so empowered by the Holy Spirit and so focused on the mission that the church has set before it. And so he reaches back to the Corinthians. Probably his mo he pastored as a missionary pastor a lot of churches as you read in the New Testament. The Corinthian church was probably his most challenging church. As we've said before, a lot of drama there, a lot of controversy there. But he obviously dearly loved the Corinthian church. And he writes back to encourage and to encourage and to encourage. Verse 2, he continues his thoughts. But he says, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Now that could apply to lots of things, attitudes, uh, things done, things thought, things said, uh, how Christians react to the world that are uh, done in shameful ways, and it could apply to all of those, but he's got something more particular primarily in mind here. And he says, we renounce the shameful hidden things, and as we do that, uh, we walk not in craftiness or deceit. We're not going to do that. We're not going to uh, twist the story to try to make it more appealing to some in a way that's deceitful. That happens all the time. It happens in modern American Christianity. I don't know why I remembered it, but it came up in a conversation and I had this flashback memory of years ago, uh, the televangelist Ernest Angley. I don't know if any of you remember him, but he used to come on the air and the music would sort of flurry, the organ music in the background, and the, the lights would do funny things, and the curtain would draw back. And there would be Ernest Angley in a white tuxedo on a, a fluted pedestal about that high, surrounded by Greek columns. And a, a mysterious voice from the back would say, and now God's men for the hour, Ernest Angley. And, and, you know, and the lights were all on him. It was all about him. I thought, is anybody really buying this? 
anybody really excited about that? And obviously they were uh, to the degree they sent in enough money to keep it on the television for a while. Paul says, we're not in the carnival business. We're not going to deceive you. Uh, we're going to tell you the truth, uh, biblical truth, uh, not with craftiness, and nor by distorting the word of God. We keep our hand on the text. We keep our focus on God's word, our purpose, our driven purpose. You say it in every Bible college class, every seminary class. Our purpose is to discover the intended meaning of the text and that apply to our own lives and share with the world. And Paul says that's what we do. And we don't want to twist Genesis or 1 Kings or the writings of the New Testament. We're not going to distort those things. We're going to, we're going to walk with integrity. We're going to preach with integrity. And that will be our purpose. That's, that will be our methodology. Commending ourselves by the disclosure of truth, or in other words, validating uh, our ministry by the disclosure of truth to every man's conscience in the sight of God, or before, literally before God. With God there as our witness, this is what we're going to do, and God confirming to your hearts the truthfulness of what we share. And Paul was absolutely sold out to that. You read the New Testament at all, you read his letters, you read the book of Acts, that's his heart, that's his methodology, that's his purpose. The modern church, especially the American church, but the church around the world, because it's so influenced by the American church, like it's uh, every area of the uh, international economy and everything else is influenced by what comes out of our America. Uh, but the church around the world in general, and the American church in particular, is filled with all kind of what Paul calls craftiness and crazy stuff. It drives me nuts, I tell you. Just as a, as a Bible person, as somebody whose life is focused on studying the Bible and sharing the Bible and studying the Bible and sharing the Bible, some of that stuff just drives me nuts when I, when I hear the debates and I see the, the materials and you go in a bookstore and you see the things that are not on the shelves but on the front shelves. You think, really? Really? I just want to remind you, and I know virtually everybody here probably would agree, you don't have to amen or anything, but basic Christianity, uh, the Christianity that undergirds our denomination and our church's doctrinal statement, basic Baptist, evangelical, biblical Christianity is awesome. It doesn't need to be tweaked. It doesn't need to be polished. It doesn't need to be enhanced. We don't have to hide part of it. It is incredible. It is incomparable. And there is nothing else on planet Earth like biblical Christianity. Paul says we don't have to mess with it. We just put it out there for the world and live lives that are consistent with it. I want to just one more time uh, invite you to biblical Christianity and say, don't get caught up on all the, the crazy church carnival stuff. Now, I'm not talking about fall festival and things like that. But the crazy, nutso theologies that are out there that, that try to make it a little more enticing to the world. Or maybe it's put out there to try to get more money from the world or, or whatever the motives might be by uh, those people that Paul's burdened with here. Our calling is to just live the real thing and put it before the world and trust God for the results. 
And Paul did it over and over and over and over. And he kept writing about it and encouraging the church. And he says, we commend ourselves not on the basis of anything clever about us or our methods. He says, we just we commend ourselves through the disclosure of the truth to every person to decide in their own spirit and we do so before God in the sight of God. God will judge in the end, Paul says. I'm encouraged repeatedly, constantly by the reality that everything happens in the sight of God. It's really a, a terrifying thought, but it's also encouraging when you look at things going on in individuals' lives that you're concerned about, when you deal with the, the trends of our culture, it's all in the sight of God. God is tuned in. God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. It's omniscience, all-knowing. Nothing escapes his notice. And he never ceases to be aware and involved and active in response to what's going on, even when we don't see his particular methodology. And he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And you live in a culture where lots of people don't get it. They don't uh, put the pieces of the gospel together and get the picture of who Christ is and what the Bible's about and what's going on. And it's as though it's veiled. It's, it's hidden from them. It's, it's not clear to them. Paul says uh, that's the way it is to those who are perishing, those who are on the wrong path, those who if their path is not altered they are doomed. He says in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Uh, Satan is who he's referring to there, the God of this age or this world. He's saying in contrast to heaven and eternity, the God of this world's got people confused. He's got people you know confused. He perhaps has someone in your family confused. He may even have you confused. Paul says the God of this age is in the blinding business, the confusion business, and he distorts the truth so that people miss the mark and make wrecks of their lives. Paul wrote to the Galatians, it's the next letter in the New Testament after 2 Corinthians, but he really wrote it a number of years before 2 Corinthians. And in the introduction he talks about uh, who gave himself, speaking of Christ, for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. And a lot of the American lifestyle is built around the idea of accumulating as much stuff for yourself as you can so you can build as, as great a world for yourself as you can and then you, you endeavor to preserve it as long as you can before the inevitable happens. Paul said, no, you know, look, Christians, you need to understand this, this world's a mess. It's going to be a mess till Jesus comes and uh, there's a lot of evil out there and there will be evil until our Redeemer comes in his fullness and therefore, this is the present evil age, and the God of this age has blinded a lot of people. No, come November, a lot of people are going to go in those voting booths, and they're going to be uh, spiritually blind. I mean, that's just reality. That's the way it is. And you can think about that till it drives you nuts. You can think about that till you, till you enter into absolute despair. 
And Paul says, no, 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 we will never give up because we know the end from the beginning and we know where we're headed and we know that Christ can wrap it up anytime he wants to. He can blow the whistle at any given moment. It's all over and he is the victor. And if we are identified with him, we are victors with him. It says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus. There's a good test for you. You watch all the, the celebrity Christians and the televangelists and all. Uh, who are they preaching? Paul says, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. And ourselves, as for us, ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. I said about a week ago, uh, the most credentialed man at this point, with the possible exceptions of Peter and John, but the most credentialed man in Christendom at the point of the writing of this letter is the man who's writing the letter, the Apostle Paul. Called out of darkness into the light of the gospel, called from uh, persecuting the church to building the church and taking the gospel to the nations. He's an incredible man, and yet he speaks of himself as a bondservant, or you could say as a slave. And he says, we don't preach ourselves. It's not about us. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves. We do so for the sake of Jesus, for Jesus' purposes, for the cause. Got a new CD uh, by the Gettys recently. I bought it. Uh, put it in the CD player, uh, rode around for about an hour, went back to the bookstore and bought another one uh, for Wendy because she likes the Gettys. And it was, but there's this song on there about the cause. There's another song on there about the unfinished task. And it's just a great musical reminder that we have a great high purpose. And Paul says in all of that, it's not about us pushing ourselves to the front and getting the merit badges that the world has to offer. It's about being servants of the Lord's people for Jesus' sake. It's sort of a surprise thing that only uh, biblical Christians understand, but the highest freedom on planet Earth, the highest freedom you can personally experience is bondservanthood to Christ, where you come to the end of yourself and you take all of your possessions and all your mindset and all your attitudes and all your resentments and your bitternesses and you you put them all before the Lord and say Lord they're yours I'm just here to serve you as long as you want me to be here serving you I am yours and out of that comes uh, an incredible freedom there is no greater position of freedom than that of being a bondservant of Jesus when you put on uh, that clothing the the, the servant of Christ for the cause of Christ nobody can touch you they might hurt your body they might burn you at the stake they might do what all kind of things to you but you, as spiritually they can't touch you because you are in Christ awesomely in Christ and Paul speaks of that liberty that he has and that central purpose of his life we don't have to talk about ourselves. We don't have to promote ourselves. We don't have to defend ourselves. We just preach Jesus. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God 
in the face of Christ, the God who said light's going to shine, has shown that light, and he's done it in our lives. I don't know where he got it or, or where he was coming from with it, but Nathan at the dinner table yesterday started talking about biblical events because he was studying for this morning. He's preaching at another Baptist church, and uh, he was looking forward to that, but he started talking about the event, uh, the, the Elijah event, Elijah and the showdown with the prophets of Baal, and some of you have been to the location where that occurred, and he was talking about that, and he was talking about if I could only see like three or four events in the Bible, I think that might be one of them. You can look back at, uh, at all these great biblical stories, but then he, he said, or, or maybe like the conversion of Paul when the light came down on Paul. He said, well, that's, that's kind of what Paul's talking about in our passage this morning. Paul uh, was blinded by the light. Wouldn't that be incredible to see whatever it is that Paul saw? As long as he, he visually doesn't see anything for very long through that. But to see that dramatic moment when this man's life is so transformed and he says that light that God of that kind of light that shines into our dark world has come shining into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus is um, the, he, earlier he referred to him as the icon, uh, the word that we get icon from. Here he talks about the face of Christ. He says, in Jesus, we see the wonder of the glory of God. And Paul is really saying, oh, Corinthians, please get it. Please understand who's redeemed you, who you serve, what you're called to. And if you get it, you will be fearless and bold and persistent, and you will never quit. You will never lose heart. I refer every now and then to our Tuesday group. I don't see any of our Tuesday group in this service. I guess they'll be in the second one. But we're going through Operation World. I refer to every now and then. This is an incredible book. It really is. It's, they're probably due for a, a new edition to come out. They do one every five or six years, and this one's about six years old. But it's an amazing collection of missionary material. It's a great geography book. If you cared nothing about Jesus, it's just a great geography book. But it's missions geography, and it talks about what the Lord's doing everywhere in the world. Every little nook and cranny. There's not a country that's not covered. And all those countries are broken down into smaller categories and all the details. And for whatever reason, about three weeks ago, uh, every time we finish a country, we have to decide on what's next. And, and somebody said, let's look at Russia. And so we read for about three or four weeks on Russia, not the old Soviet Union, but Russia as it is today, went through the major part, got down, and there's this little add-on section of these other states that are still technically part of Russia, but they're different. They kind of fall in a different category. And last Tuesday morning, we read through those. And I tell you, it's incredible. At first glance, it's incredibly discouraging. You read about the Muslim numbers and the, the political oppression and the poverty of some of these areas and the despair and gloom that permeates some of these places. Oh, man, I'm glad I live in Georgia, not that place. But as you read through Operation World, and, and here and there you begin to pick up these other little things that are included. And over here in this little area, uh, there's a guy doing a New Testament 
And over there, there's a, a, a campus ministry uh, that's hanging in there. Up here, Campus Crusade's got some people working. And down there, there's another guy who's finished the New Testament, and they're working on the Old Testament. And you've got partials of Scripture and the Jesus film shown here. And all of a sudden, you begin to realize that God has his people out there in these most remote of locations. Little small glimmers of hope, little beams of spiritual light, and the darkest areas of darkness, spiritual darkness. Our God is so at work. We could never, with our little feeble minds, we could never comprehend the greatness of what God is doing right now. Not just in the book of Acts, but right now while we speak. I think the shocker of someday on the other side, we're going to look back and find out that there are more evangelical Christians in China than in the United States. I can't prove that, but you can't disprove that. And there are multitudes of people under the radar coming to Christ who are not superficially, nominally committed to some lukewarm denomination, but sold out to Jesus. It's amazing what God has done and is doing. And Paul says the light shines uh, into our world uh, through the face of Christ. And Paul says, I'm not ever going to quit. I am not ever going to lose heart. Now Nathan's supposed to preach this morning and tonight and this morning was about Elijah and his showdown with the prophets of Baal and many of you have read the story read it many times but you know what he, he said an incredible spiritual victory 450 prophets of Baal go down everybody's blown away by Elijah and the, the amazing ministry of Elijah. You know what happens next? He loses heart, and he travels 40 days all the way down into the Sinai and way down to the mountain of Moses and climbs that mountain by himself, and God says, Elijah, what are you doing? Now, Elijah could have said, I've lost heart. I just, I'm, I'm scared. Did you, did you forget the, the showdown with the prophets? That, you know, we're just human. We're frail. And so we are... Uh, served by the New Testament and the whole Bible with these repeated reminders, don't give up. Jesus is your anchor man. Your team is going to win. You're going to get the gold medal. Just don't quit. Just be faithful, tenacious, persevering to the end. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we're grateful for the mercy that Paul writes about here. The mercy that would take a man like Saul of Tarsus, a persecutor of the church, and transform him into this amazing theologian, church-planting missionary who loved people so much and conveyed so much truth down through the ages through his writings. We're grateful for how you have worked in the past. We're grateful that the book of Acts is not only a, a history, but a true history book, but it is the beginning of 2,000 years of church history, and we're grateful that you are at work in those remote states of Russia today. And you're at work in dark places in America today and around the world. We're grateful that our scriptures remind us and encourage us with the reality that we can 
trust you completely, absolutely, with everything. And that we can rejoice in our ultimate victory in Christ. Help us, Lord, as we go on to Sunday school and back out to our homes and to the community and our, our responsibilities in the coming week. Help us to do so as those who are confident, like that Jamaican team in the tunnel uh, yesterday. Help us to have the confidence that, that our cause is the right cause and the just cause and the prevailing cause and that we are called to faithfulness. Be with us, Lord. Uh, help us to not respond in our humanity and in our frailty but in the spiritual enablement that you give us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.